This episode of Fearless Rebel Radio is brought to you by You On Fire. You On Fire is the amazing 12-week online group coaching program that I run where we build up your worth from the ground up so that it's no longer hinging on the way that you look. It's got personalized coaching from me and incredible community support plus lifetime access. Get details on what's included in this program and sign up to be notified when doors open for the next cycle by going to summerinandin.com forward slash you on fire. I would love to have you in that program and in that group. This is Fearless Rebel Radio, a podcast about body positivity, self-worth, anti-dieting, and feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanin, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is episode 172, and I am interviewing Michelle Vina Baltzis, professionally trained coach and certified intuitive eating counselor. We talk about how to manage body changes as you age, the increased expectations put on women as they age, and how to handle the struggles that pop up around midlife. You can find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode at summerinandin.com forward slash 172. I want to give a shout out to little G in the OC who left this awesome review, fabulously empowering. I have listened to all of the episodes and love how it's evolved. From the beginning, Summer has empowered women to live their authentic lives in authentic bodies. Fabulous listen for all. Thank you so much. And if you've been listening since the beginning, wow, that's a long time. And I'm really honored that you're still, that you're still here and that you've enjoyed the evolution as much as I've enjoyed evolving because um, we're always evolving, aren't we? Before we get started with this awesome episode, you can leave a review like the one that little G in the OC left by going to iTunes, click ratings and reviews and click to leave a review or a rating. A review helps more, but a rating is okay too. And definitely subscribe, subscribe to the show uh, via whatever platform you use to listen to it that helps others to find uh, what you're learning here. And lastly, don't forget to grab the 10 day body confidence makeover at summerinandin.com forward slash freebies with 10 steps to take right now to feel better in your body. This has been a really hard week for me. I had to say goodbye to my beloved pug, Walter. Some of you may know Walter. Uh, he has been a part of my business from the beginning. We've had him in our lives for over 12 years. I adopted him from the Humane Society. I was a volunteer there many, many years ago when I lived in Toronto. And uh, he came in, he was six months old, I think. And I just, the second I saw him, I was like, that dog needs to come home with me. And uh, there were just so many applications for him because obviously a pug puppy rarely goes to the Humane Society. Uh, but because I had adopted a severely arthritic senior Rottweiler that really only had a couple months left to live. They pulled some favors and I was able to adopt Walter and it was meant to be. Uh, and I don't really mean pulled favors. That's not really true at all. But I guess like my application was more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? It went kind of more noticed because I had already adopted a very old pet from them and I was a volunteer there. So clearly I cared about the welfare of the animals and dogs. So yeah, I didn't want to make it sound like I was some entitled privileged asshole. It was because I'd kind of put in my dues there and showed them that I really cared about dogs. And I also had to make a pretty significant financial donation to get him too, which I know is not really the way it's supposed to work, but that's the way it worked there. Uh, in any event, Walter's been in our lives for a really, really long time and uh, losing a pet always sucks. I've got a hole in my heart from all the pets that I've lost over the years. And, you know, he used to show up on my social media and in my Instagram stories and, and uh, he's pretty much in all of our family photos. I mean, he was my child before I had an actual human child and uh, he lived a really good life, but um, he had started to slow down these last couple months 
I thought it was just aging and I think some of it was. And, uh, you know, about a month ago we thought, mm, we should maybe take him to the vet. Like he's showing some signs of maybe, you know, not being himself. But then he had this amazing week where he was like doing these super long walks. He was really energetic. He was eating really well. And so I thought, oh no, he's fine. I think it, it just must be aging. And then, yeah, things just kind of went downhill from there. And, uh, you know, he was just started to drink like a lot more water. He wasn't eating very much. And we took him in and it was his, uh, his liver was failing as a result of his gallbladder, not working properly. It had the duct between his gallbladder and liver was blocked. And, uh, anyways, our options were really, okay, you can remove his gallbladder and he might still have cancer because they thought maybe there was some cancer at play. You know, that was really the option. <laughs> and uh, I was, you know, my, my question to the vet was, is there any outcome that's actually going to result in him, you know, being okay and really like being himself and living a really good life? And she said, no, you know, it's going to be like a major surgery. It's going to be like a, um, you know, a pretty big recovery for an older dog. And he might then get sick a month later and you're going to have to put him down. So we made that difficult decision to just, uh, you know, say goodbye to him there. But fortunately we were, my, both my husband and I were able to be with him because they had just changed their policy. So vet hospitals, at least where I am, had it so you couldn't be in the room because you weren't even allowed to go into the clinics because of COVID. Um, so they would come in, they would come out to your car to take your dog. And just, I'm so thankful that they had just changed that policy at this particular hospital because we entered phase three of, of our uh, recovery from COVID because I'm in Canada and we've been doing pretty well with the way that we've handled it here. So I just feel so grateful because I don't know what I would have done if I hadn't been able to be holding him when um, when they put him down. Anyways, hope you're all not crying right now. I'm surprised I'm not. I'm trying to hold it together. Anyways, yeah, I just wanted to share that. It's been kind of a crappy year between losing my dad and losing my dog. There's a lot of grief, but that is life. And I'm grateful to have my work and I'm grateful to have my child who's happy and healthy and brings a lot of joy and is a really good distraction from both of those things. But that is life. And I know that many of you can understand that. And many of you have probably lost a pet or somebody. And I just, yeah, it's just really hard, but you can feel a whole bunch of emotions at once. And I feel like that's what it's like when you have a kid and then you lose, you experience grief because you've got all this joy from your child and then you've got all this grief. And it's this really interesting and fascinating dichotomy that I feel like I'm living in a lot of the time right now. Anyways, that's what's new with me. What's new with you? Um, <laughs> we'll get started with this episode. I'm really excited for this episode because we haven't talked about aging on here in quite a while. And it's a topic that comes up a lot. I know it comes up a lot with my clients. It comes up a lot because a lot of the body, I said a lot quite a few times there, many of the, you know, body positive influencers and things like that tend to be younger. And there's a massive portion of the population of people in midlife and even beyond who still struggle with their body, have a disordered relationship with food and, you know, have certain experiences that are unique to their age demographic. And so I'm super excited to have Michelle on the show today to talk about that, talk about ageism and the things that, um, you know, that happen to us when we age and how that influences our body image and how to change that. So you're going to love this episode. I learned a lot. There's some really, really practical stuff in here. Michelle Vina Baltis is a professionally trained coach and certified intuitive eating counselor. Her passion is supporting midlife women who wish to rewrite their stories with food and body image so they can live more joyful and purposeful lives. Her unique approach to health and wellness helps women to focus on caring for and respecting their bodies at all shapes, sizes, and ages so they can pursue what they generally want confidently and without apology. You're going to love this episode. Let's get started. Hi, Michelle. Welcome to the show. Hi, Summer. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Why don't you start out by telling everyone how you got into this work and what made you want to focus on supporting midlife women, especially? Well, first of all, I am a midlife woman. So, uh, you know, I can really identify with a lot of the concerns that midlife women have. And 
you know, there aren't a lot of us who are doing this work who are midlife or beyond. So it's important for people to know that you can get into, you know, healing at a later date. <laughs> you know, um, you don't have to just be in your 20s or 30s that uh, some of us find this work later in life. And that's okay, that there's always opportunities for healing um, at every age. And I got into this work because I struggled with food pretty much from, you know, as early as I can remember, which literally is age four or five, I have like still glimpses of that time. And, you know, throughout the years and yo-yo dieting and, and everything else that I did, I always just really had a passion for really trying to unravel what was underneath it all and trying to just understand it so that I could be free. You know, that's really what I craved so much. And so at some point in my life, I decided just to pivot. Uh, this was in my 40s and just say, this is really what I want to do. And so I went back to coaching school and I then went on to uh, specialize in intuitive eating because that's how I healed my relationship. And, uh, and that's now what I'm doing, you know, as my, uh, my job, you know, my, my full-time work and my passion. And I know that, you know, one of the things that happens, uh, you know, as we get older is our, our bodies really change. And especially through that midlife period where, you know, hormones start to change or we start to sort of experience perimenopause or even menopause, you know, what was your relationship with your body like through that, through that time? Well, you know, it was interesting because I, I didn't even know that I was in perimenopause. Uh, and I, you know, looking back on that, it was like, what's going on here? And I had a series of things that sort of forced me into a an early menopause. So, you know, my, my situation is, is semi-unique, but the more I talk to women, a lot of women are in this position where they're in their 40s and they are maybe just starting perimenopause or toward the tail end of it. And then they need to have, you know, a hysterectomy or even a partial hysterectomy. And that was my situation. So my relationship with my body was healing at that time um, because I had found intuitive eating and I was working with a coach uh, really to heal the food piece of it. And so I was I wasn't, you know, clearly where I am now because I keep evolving, but I was in the healing stages when, um, when I started the process. Uh, and when, you know, now I'm, I'm officially, you know, menopausal and have been for some time, you know, my body is still changing and it will continue to change. And I have to continue to embrace and accept and, uh, you know, just go with it, you know, to the best of my ability, because it, it is changing. Yes, definitely. And, you know, we're going to talk about some of the things that, you know, that you uh, that you use with clients, or that can be helpful. But before we jump to that, you know, one of the things that you shared recently on your Instagram was that you struggled with your mixed race identity and that you only started to explore that a few years ago. Can you speak to that and the impact that that had on helping you own who you are? Yes, absolutely. I think it's a great question. And I, I really hope that this is helpful for other people because you know, one of the beautiful things about podcasts is you can listen to people from all over the world and their experiences, and it helps you to identify. And one of the things that midlife does, uh, there are so many beautiful things that happen during midlife. And one of them is that you can rediscover or discover parts of yourself that really have been either dormant or, you know, that you kind of tucked away for a while. And one of the things growing up for me that was really painful was working through identity issues. You know, I really didn't know who I was. I grew up in the 70s when it wasn't, you know, popular to be Latina. And so I really struggled with trying to be white, straight haired, thin. And, you know, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't any of those things, but I wanted to be because I really wanted to fit in, you know, like most teens do. Uh, and it was very hard. And so I really kind of shelved my culture on in, on some level, not not 100%, but I wasn't, you know, running around saying, oh, I'm this proud Latina woman. I, I That was not me. Uh, so I would say like in my probably early 40-ish, you know, I started to be like, 
there is, you know, as, and this was as I was healing my relationship with food and with body and really getting in touch with the fact that I had literally decades of disordered eating and an ED that had just had a huge impact on my life. And I, in my forties, I started to unpack a lot of that and realize that there was a lot to me. And that part of what I wanted to explore as I was, you know, um, moving into that, that change of life was, what am I made of, you know, and what are the, all of these influences in my life that have, have shaped who I am as a woman. And so one of the things was really getting in touch with, I am a Latina woman. I come from, you know, and there's a whole bunch of other pieces to that too. You know, there's, there's a Middle Eastern part of me. There's a, 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 part, part black, you know, I come this part of me that's from Africa. So there's all of these different pieces of myself that I had never really identified with. And so this period of my life has really allowed me to explore that. And I, you know, explore my identity issues, explore my, the feelings that I had about not feeling like I was enough in my childhood because of what I was and what, you know, what I, my parents were and all of that kind of stuff. Again, because growing up in a time when that wasn't really accepted. So it's a period where I can really look at that now and have been for a little while, but I would say now it's kind of blown up a lot where I feel like I have permission now, like there's more room to do that. And I feel much safer. Uh, and I think part of that is midlife and just saying, what the hell, if I'm not going to do it now, when am I going to do it? And part of it is that the environment is shifting and it's nowhere near where it needs to be, but it is shifting. And I'm very grateful for that. And it sounds like it's really helped you to, you know, to solidify that belief that you are good enough. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I am by no means in quotes cured of that, <laughs> but you know, is, anyone. <laughs> is there even a such thing? Right. But I have a lot of tools now and I certainly can recognize when it's triggered, you know, uh, and it, it manifests in so many different ways, you know, because so many things you can do the not enough nonsense with. And, and I don't say nonsense, like it's not real or to invalidate anyone who may be feeling that way. It's simply that it, it moves around, you know, um, and it morphs. So I'm like, Oh, there you are again. There you are again. I see you. You're trying to put on a different face, but it's still the same crappy feeling, you know? And so I just pick up a different tool, you know, and I'm like, you're more than enough, you know, and none of this stuff that's around that makes you feel that way, you know, uh, takes away from your self-worth, you know, none of it does. So I really have roots in that now where I can say I didn't have that until maybe five, six years ago. And it just keeps getting stronger and stronger. And it is wonderful. <laughs> it's wonderful to have your majority of your life lived feeling like you're not enough. And like, no matter what you did, it was never enough. It was good for like five minutes. And then it was, oh, sugar, that one's better. You know, it was constant, a constant, constant treadmill type of a thing. And now it's not on most days. And again, I have my moments, but I know what tools to pick up and I recognize it, which is just such a gift. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so important. So important. And so what do you see as the influence of aging on our body image as we get older? So you know, people talk about ageism, but like, you know, what if, what have you noticed or what have your clients experienced that you feel really starts to impact the way they feel about themselves? Well, yeah, no, your body shifts at all ages. It changes, you know, and again, it's supposed to change. It's not supposed to, my 50 ish body is not supposed to be my 20 ish body, you know? And so it's understanding that and that there are dramatic things that happen internally in terms of your hormones that shift things around. And that's, people aren't pretending, you know, this, they're not making it up. It is an actual thing and it's done to protect our bodies. So I think people have to really understand what's going on so that they can have a deeper appreciation for how the body as always is trying to protect us and keep us safe. And 
keep everything functioning as it's supposed to, you know? So the one thing that I hear all the time is, you know, the, the tire, you know, the, uh, the inner tube tire that people feel like is around their stomach, you know, or their hips are getting bigger or their backsides are, are, they feel like in quotes are protruding, you know, um, their breasts are different, you know, all kinds of things. And of course, you know, there's what happens to the face and things change, skin changes, uh, you know, there could be fine lines, things like that. I mean, I have clients that won't even take pictures of themselves. They are so disenchanted with the way they look. They have not taken pictures literally in years. Uh, and they're sad about it, but they can't seem to, you know, until we start unpacking all of that, really, really do do what, you know, do the picture thing. It just doesn't happen. Um, and so they come to me or they come to you and they start to unpack what's underneath that, you know, and it's those unrealistic beauty demands that there are and that, and also that they're really thinking that they're supposed to look like they did at 20 or 30 and not, not being able to really accept like what the, you know, what I've heard many times is what has happened to my body. I look so old, you know, like I shouldn't be in pictures at this age, you know, do I really look like that? Like people have said that to me many times, you know, like when I take pictures of, you know, when they take pictures of themselves they are like, Oh my gosh, is that what I really look like? You know? And it's, it's so, um, it makes me sad. I've been there. So I know the sadness that is connected with that. And it's, it's, it's sad. You know, it really is very sad. Yeah. And like there, you know, in our, in our culture, there's so, there's such a lack of visibility for aging women. And I don't even like, I feel like referring to people approaching 50 or 50 as aging is just even bizarre you know, like, it right. doesn't even seem old to me, but because your shelf life is, is like 40 in, in the media, you know? And, and so there's so, there's no representation, um, or very little representation. And, and the representation that we often see is, you know, like in like anti-aging commercials yes, <laughs> like yes, before and after yes, of like people right. having their necks straightened out or something. Uh, yes. <laughs> and everything is anti-aging. And, and so first you have to ask what's wrong with aging, right? And everybody's aging. Every single person, even a child that's just born is aging. The aging process has started. None of us live forever. And so, yeah, I understand that, you know, obviously some people are more, you know, moving along and they're more mature or whatever, and that they look differently or whatever. But the reality is that we're all aging, you know, and at some point we will all get to a point where we will no longer be here, you know, and that's, that's a guarantee. <laughs> There's very few things that we can be certain about, but that is one. Uh, so it's really, to me, embracing that fact and doing our very best while we are here to make the most of what we have. And I get that that sounds kind of cliche-ish, but if when you really embody that, you, I have been, I can't speak for everyone, but I have been able to really enjoy my life and savor the moments and lived more mindfully because I recognize now that it's not going to be forever. And at any time, at any age, it could go away. And we have certainly seen that more with COVID. People of all ages have been affected by this. So why are we wasting time? Yeah. And so there's this notion of like visibility. You know, one thing that I've heard from people that are in midlife uh, clients that I've worked with is just, you know, I feel invisible. Like I go about my day and like, you know, people don't notice me like they used to or take me seriously, um, or even just like this perception of, of being less visible, whether or not there's actual evidence towards mm -hmm. it. <sighs> That's, it's tough. Um, I think that that is tough in that people feel that way. And I think sometimes because they feel that way, sometimes they actually act that way. And I'm not saying that it's not legit. Because I, I have seen it myself where I've been like, am I here? <laughs> Hello? You know, um, but I, you know, it's, it's, I think part of it is a mindset thing, but I think part of it is absolutely spot on. I do think that it happens. You know, I think it's really just something where people have to, um, 
you know, speak up, speak up. Um, and, and also along with the mindset piece is knowing that at every age, we have something to contribute that the things that as, as a mature woman at 54, my, um, life experience is very valuable to a lot of people. You know, um, at my age, I'm finding that sometimes 20 somethings want to just sit next to me and ask me all kinds of questions, you know, and, and in the most respectful way, but like, not like, you know, it's, it's, I can't describe the, the instances, but it's, it really turns out to be like beautiful conversations because they want to draw from my experience. And, you know, they ask me things or they're like, well, what was it like or whatever when you had your son and, you know, this and that I had my son when I was 35. So, you know, they wanted to know what that was like. And it's just a very interesting thing. And, you know, they're at such a different stage of life and yet they are still able to um, speak to me, you know, in the most, you know, curious way and, and glean really great information. I had a beautiful conversation yesterday with a 22 year old who uh, actually is my, he's my, my son's second cousin and he just graduated. So as you can imagine, like most graduates, he's kind of lost a little bit, you know, especially now during COVID, the poor thing. And he said, you know, can I talk to you? And I said, of course. And we chatted and he's like, oh, I'm hearing all of this noise everywhere about what I should do, whatever. And it was basically like a coaching conversation. And I could see like his face like opening up, you know, like you could see what I was saying to him was resonating, you know, and I always ask permission, you know, do you mind if I share this or, you know, can, do you mind if I share this piece of advice with you? He's like, oh, please, please, please. And he was like begging, you know, and it was so sweet. But he afterwards, he, as he was leaving, he said, thank you so much. He said, because you really gave me some important things to think about. And I was like, yes, yeah, it's not so bad being 54, Michelle. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's not bad. It's not bad at all, actually. But some, those kinds of conversations, conversations really help to remind me that, you know, we just like I have things I can learn from him. He learns things from me. You know, it's reciprocal. You know, I can learn. I have people at my church that are in their 80s. I learn so much from them. And I know that we have conversations and they probably learn from me too. So I think we can learn from people of all ages. Mm -hmm. and, and so like, what are some ways that people can change their relationship with aging and even the word old, you know, because people, when people say it, I'm like, mm, you're saying that with a real negative connotation, you yeah. know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not helpful. Yeah, I agree. I think for me, this stage of my life really is about and has been for a number of years really about gratitude, appreciation, mindfulness, learning to really be self-compassionate, which is something that was never ever on my radar until a little while, you know, a couple of years ago. I think it's really understanding that number one, not everyone has the privilege of aging. My father died at 47. So when I turned 50, it was a big deal in my house. It was like, I'm 50, woohoo. You know, um, I am so grateful to be on this earth. You know, so there is this gratitude of I'm still here and I'm healthy and I have a child and I have a wonderful husband of 25 years. Look at all of these wonderful things that I have experienced. And I'm so excited to think of all the other things I'm still going to experience. So it's having gratitude that I'm here, that I'm healthy, that my family is healthy. It's understanding that I still have a contribution to make and that any whatever number I turn, that's never going to change. You know, um, and also understanding that that my my self value never changes. You know, no matter how old I get, I'm still going to have the same value that I had from day one. You know, um, my self worth is always going to be there. It's constant. You know, so that's how I walk around, and I definitely have my moments because I'm human where I'm like, oh wow. You know, how did that happen? Like, how did I get to be 54? And I'm making it sound like I'm 99, but you know, <laughs> but the way I move around, like I still feel like some days I'm in my twenties and I'm, I'm so blessed that I'm able to do that, you know, and I, I totally acknowledge that, you know, I'm in the, in the shower, you know, cleaning and I'm crouched down and I'm moving around and I'm doing this and I'm like, wow, you know, and there's gratitude even for cleaning my shower. And it sounds silly, but it's like, 
I'm so grateful I can move my body in this way. What a gift that I have this. And that, you know, it for me, it just so many things go back to gratitude, you know, just go back to gratitude. And I can't, I'm not, oh, again, I'm sometimes I'm pissy and I'm like, oh, this stinks. But, you know, on those days, it's when I have to really bring it back to let's look at what's really important here. And, you know, let's look at what's really important here. You have a home, you have a shower to clean. <laughs> you know, it's like there are so many people that don't have that. So I don't always get go there right away, but eventually I come back around to that. How did you get into that practice of, of gratitude? Was there anything that helped you or is there any, you know, like daily practice that you try to incorporate? Yeah, as a matter of fact, there is. I have been a spiritual person for a good part of my life, like on and off. But I would say in the past 10 years, I've really leaned into that more. And for me, midlife has been a lot into really leaning into uncertainty. I've had to lean more on my faith. So it's really understanding that things are going to unfold as as they need to, you know, and just kind of trusting you know, trusting in whatever you want to call it, universe, nature, you know, whatever it is, I choose to call, you know, my faith is is based on God. But again, everybody has whatever works for them. It's just knowing that there's something that is above me. Uh, and so my spiritual practice is I do some journaling in the morning. I call it the power of three, which is I write down th- at least three things that I'm grateful for, three things that uh, I call three wins, like that I feel proud of myself, you know, that make me feel really good. And then I do three things that I'd like to see happen in the future. And then, um, you know, I kind of just meditate on that for a little while. I have a very robust meditation practice. I do yoga, anything where I can really get back into my body and uh, really acknowledge what is around me that I feel so lucky to have, you know, just so lucky to have. So I'm not rigid about it. There, there's some days when I, when I don't do it and I'm like, I don't feel like doing it today, you know, and there are days like that. Uh, and some days I struggle to think about, Hmm, what did I do yesterday that made me feel really good? And on those days I might just write down one thing, but for me, it's just a practice of getting into the habit of acknowledging something that I did that may have been a shift from what I may have done five years ago, you know, so I can sort of track my progress in a very non-rigid way. Hmm. Yeah, that's really um, helpful. And I think that it kind of tags along with something you and I talked about a couple of weeks ago is just one of the things that I think comes up is this like notion of mortality and, and, and just that uncertainty and, and like you start to feel more anxiety about uh, whether it's your own mortality or the people close to you, because you start to see how quickly, you know, life can change in an instant. And so I think there's, there can be a lot of future worrying, like future thinking and future worrying that people experience. I know I'm totally guilty of that a lot. Um, and so, yeah, sorry, what were you going to respond to that? Oh no, I was just gonna say uh, you and I, and pretty much everybody else I know, you know, it's, <laughs> yes. it's, it's just, it's like, it is right. Especially now, you know, it's like, wow. You know, um, but the thing I keep reminding myself of, and this was a painful reality about a year and a half ago, I was saying to myself, self, life is uncertain, but it's always been uncertain. (laughs) It's never not been uncertain. You're just coming to terms with this now, which I'm kind of grateful, (laughs) grateful in a way, because I'm like, oh, thank goodness I didn't realize this like 20 or something years ago. I mean, it may have helped me, but you know, it, when that, when that layer got peeled back, it was like, oh my. And I've been of the belief that like, yeah, you don't have any control and blah, blah, blah. But like, I didn't like, I would say it and think it, but I really didn't embody it. And now I see, especially now with COVID, it's like, there's that notion of uncertainty again. There it is again. You know, it's like, okay, so this is now in my face. And so what I have 
thank goodness for my self-compassion practice because I've had to really, those two have been friends. They've made friends now. The the fear of the uncertainty, I've had to bring self-compassion even more into my life because, you know, when I think about uncertainty, it can stop me in my tracks. Just like I can't move. I become just like a statue. And obviously that's not very, you know, healthy or productive. And I don't want to live my life like that. So that's also where yoga helps me and where meditation helps me is to get back in my body and look at my feet. Where are my feet? Where are your feet, Michelle? They're here. They're not five days ahead. They're not five years ahead. You got to bring it back, girl. And I do. And that is a daily, sometimes a hundred times a day, that boomerang thing of just, you know, and that's what mindfulness is about. It's you're going to, you're going to fly off the handle sometimes. And I just see this boomerang just coming back, just bring it back. And it's okay that you do that. That's, that is a normal part of mindfulness, but it's, it's doing it to the best of your ability without the judgment. And first of all, recognizing that you're out there, that the boomerang is gone, it's launched. And then knowing, oh, there it is, and bringing it back. And okay, I'm back in my body. Look at your feet. This is where you are. And when I can grab hold of that, I feel like my breath calming again. And all of a sudden, that's when I can get back into my gratitude. It's like, okay, I'm here. I'm okay. You know, and like literally in the midst when this, when we were peaking in New York, which was, I would say probably one of the most terrifying, you know, few weeks of my life. And I'm being completely serious. I had to do that. I was probably doing yoga two, three times a day, even just for short little spurts, but it, I had to do whatever I had to do. And that was a, a very, very constructive tool for me to use. Yeah. One thing that I'm really hearing, which I think is so important for people to acknowledge and recognize is that to move through these things, you really have to be intentional about it. And, you know, sometimes it's like you, you, you just kind of think, oh, it'll just go away on its own. But I, I feel that, you know, what I'm hearing and what I know from experience as well is that you really do have to be intentional about working through those feelings and thoughts and finding the practices that really work best for you and using them and not just like knowing them once and then never using right. them again. <laughs> right? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Because the repeti- the repetition breeds integration. Yes. You know, if you don't keep repeating the tool, it's going to disappear. You know, if you don't use it, you lose it. So you need to keep using it, you know, um, and again, various tools, not just sometimes, honestly, sometimes I don't want to meditate. I'm like, nope, not doing it. <laughs> and I can be pretty resistant, you know? So then I'll do something else. You know, it could be journaling. It could be walking with my dog. It could just be playing. It could be so many different things, but the point is to have as many tools in your toolbox as you can acquire because you'd use them for different things, you know, and it's necessary, you know, because again, life is uncertain and things will continue to happen uh, that we may not like so much. And meeting all of that with the self-compassion, because without that, it can be really bumpy and really hard. Yeah. And so, you know, you've mentioned self-compassion several times. And so what are some ways that you help clients incorporate that? Like, especially if they've maybe really struggled with um, being compassionate towards themselves? Well, yeah, that, and it's, and we've talked about this, that it's, you know, for many, and certainly for me, it literally was like learning a really difficult foreign language, you know, Uh, it was like, no, I'm not going to be nice to myself, then I'm never, ever going to do anything, I'm never going to be motivated, you know, that was my mentality, which is the mentality of most around self compassion, they think they're being too soft in quotes on themselves. And how I help them is to, you know, reflect back the language that they're using, you know, and ask them, you know, how does it feel when you talk to yourself in that manner? How would you speak to a friend? You know, that's the very common question is, would you speak to a friend that way, you know? So some of those things and also reminding them to always be checking in with their body and asking their body what it needs, you know, that's a huge piece of self-compassion is what does my body need right now? And then, you know, when you recognize that you're spinning, you know, say, okay, in the most loving, compassionate way that you can muster, what do you need right now? And, and take a moment to take that breath 
and go inward and see what it is that you need. And then to the best of your ability, try to meet that need. And know that you can't always, you know, because you could be in the middle of a meeting, you know, with people, which who knows when that's going to happen again. But, you know, pre-COVID, you know, it could be so many different things, but it's always going back in to check in because nobody knows better than us, right? I mean, not to say that we don't need advice from people, but when it comes to things like that, it's like our bodies are telling us and we just sometimes need to take a moment to... Ooh, take that breath, you know, and, and ask ourselves, how could this work better for me? What does my body need right now? And then trying to, like I said, do our best to, to meet its need. Yes. Yeah. That's such good advice. And it's a really easy way to implement it too, is to just have that pause and check in with our body because so many times, you know, we're holding that tension in our body or, you know, that anxiety or, um, I, you know, just other kind of feelings that we are completely ignoring because we're living up in our heads. Exactly. Right. And it's getting, it's dropping back into the heart and being like, Oh, this does not feel good. You know, so the three major steps of self-compassion are recognizing that there's some kind of suffering going on and there's a struggle, you know, and one of my mentors, uh, I worked through a, a, a course training course with, uh, through the mindful self-compassion with, uh, Dr. Christian Neff and Chris Germer. And it was, you know, the, the five minute self-compassion break, which is also wonderful. It's very literally five minute meditation, but it's going through the three steps, which is recognizing that there's some kind of suffering or struggle going on, acknowledging that we are not alone. This is a common humanity thing that we all suffer on some level, maybe not from the exact thing that you may be suffering from at that moment, but that everybody suffers on some level. And then trying to do something that may help shift you out of that. So that third thing is typically, what do we need? What's going to make this better for me right now? And it may not be perfect. We're not looking for perfection. We're just looking for a little shift so that we can get back into our hearts and be like, okay, I'm cool. I'm going to get through this, you know, and because when we clear our heads of all of that noise that's coming in, that's when we can think rationally and that's when we can act deliberately. Yes. We can't do that when we're all clogged up with negative self-talk and everything else, comparisonitis and all of that stuff that is so toxic, our brain is hijacked. And until we calm our nervous system down, we really cannot make uh, decisions that are going to serve us. So we got to slow our roll and we have to be like, what do I need? What do I need? But first, we have to recognize that we're suffering. And that, again, comes with a lot of practice of checking in. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's such good advice. Thank you for that. Um, I want to shift gears here and just talk a little bit about, you know, like how diet culture's influence on advice around like health, especially as it relates to menopause. You know, I feel like what oh, you probably really see this is just that there's, you know, a lot of like menopause forums or doctors, but they're so seeped in diet culture. You know, what has helped you to be able to kind of navigate that time without being influenced by those messages? Or what advice do you give to clients, I guess, who are, you know, trying to look for support around menopause or perimenopause, but keep running into the same old diet culture messages? Yeah, that's not easy. And it's such a great question. You know, as usual, when we're we're separating from diet culture, we need to hang out with the right kind of people. You know, if you stay in those forums, it's like you just keep hearing the same thing over and over again. And I'm honestly, I'm in a few of them because I like to see what people are struggling with because it helps me to help others, you know, so that I can say, this is what I'm hearing a lot of. And this is how in a non-diet world we deal with this, you know? So I think you really have to understand, again, like you said, this is all steeped in diet culture. So, you know, once you depart from that, you need to look, I believe, and this is how I, you know, very gently instruct my clients is you really need to understand that gentle nutrition is just that it's gentle you know, and that we need to look at the bigger picture of what health is, because there are so many inputs to that. It's not just what you're eating. So we need to, we need to zoom out, 
you know, and understand that it's our emotional health, it's our um, physical health too, but, you know, how are you feeling emotionally, you know, and menopause does a number on that for hormone, and it is real, you know, the hormones dramatically change our mood, our confidence, our uh, sense of self-worth, all of that is due to hormones. So a lot of things hit at the same time in addition to the body changes. So you really need to be equipped. And that's why I think it's so important that women know what stage of life they're at because you can think you're going crazy. I mean, really no joke. So I think it's really looking at gentle nutrition, really listening more and more to your body while also paying attention to any things that may crop up. You know, uh, very common is, you know, pre-diabetes. People who are diagnosed with pre-diabetes and they start to really get scared, which is completely understandable. But understanding how how you can work to to heal that, you know, and it, you may not be able to prevent diabetes and understanding that so much of that is not because of anything you're doing, but there's a huge genetic piece to that. So stop with the fault, stop with the finger pointing and really understand all, what's going on underneath the surface. And then again, slathering on the self-compassion to know that you're doing the best that you can. And that even with doing the best you can, you still may get X, you know, uh, it's just, we don't have control over that, you know, um, and, and if it's in your genetic code, you know, that switch may not be flipped, but it also may be. So it's, it's embracing to the best of our ability, educating ourselves, to the best of our ability and then leaving the rest up to it is what it is. And then going from there, okay, how do we adapt our self-care based on this, you know, uh, and, and just keep working around that. And no weight was ever mentioned in anything that I just said, right? So it's just, let's, how can we shift? How can we pivot this so that we don't slip back into diet mentality? Yeah. And I think that it's, it, yeah, it's, it's, challenging because there's this almost this expectation where you know you uh, I'm wondering if like people blame themselves like oh I could oh, do something yes. different like the reason why you know I've gained this weight or the reason why I feel this way is because like it's my fault because that's you know just a lot of the messaging and even within you know like the wellness centric uh communities that are trying to help people like you know, kind of heal some of the hormonal changes that happen, you feel like a failure, I think, if you don't, if you're not able to kind of like alleviate these things or thwart aging, you know? Yep, I agree. And you hear a lot of people, a lot, especially around some of the more common ones, the pre-diabetes, you know, heart disease, things like that. It's my fault. I ate too much of X. I didn't eat enough of Y. You know, I didn't exercise enough. It just take the club and put it down. There's so much blame. And I'll say that, that I believe most of that comes from diet culture and from wellness in quotes culture, right? Which is all based on numbers and nonsense. And that's really hard, but because that's all over the place, people take the blame for it. And you rarely hear the genetic piece of it, you know, there, and that is huge. And if I think if people really embrace that more and, and it's not, you know, it, it's the reality of it, you know, it just is the reality of it. And people still say, oh, well, if I didn't eat this and that, you know what, even if you didn't eat that, you may have still gotten it. There's no formula for this kind of stuff. There is just no formula. So, and there are many different things again, that are in the equation. So, you know, we need to understand that. So again, it comes back to education. And if somebody does, you know, wind up getting something like diabetes or something like that, or heart disease, which is, you know, especially the heart disease is very, very common when, when you don't have the estrogen supporting your body anymore. You know, it's extremely, extremely common. All of these things are, once that estrogen level drops, the body is like, woo, it totally like changes, you know, cause that's protective. So it, and that's part of the reason why we get that, that tube or whatever you want to call it, you know, that excess belly fat many times is because uh, estrogen is then being produced in the abdomen, in the abdominal area. And that's protective because the fat cells create estrogen. 
So again, that, you know, on that is based on Margot, Margot Main's book uh, about uh, women aging and eating disorders. And she talks about this whole thing. And it, when I read that a couple of years ago, I was like, what? <laughs> but it reminded me that the body is incredible. It is incredible what it does to protect us. So say, I'm saying thank you to my belly. Thank you so much, you know, because you're trying to, to protect me. Uh, and that's one way you're going to help me fight heart disease as long as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, that's such good information. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't know that either, but just to see that so many of the things that our body does is protective is, is such a good reframe, I think. And, you know, that, that can be applicable at any stage of, of life, really, <laughs> you know, it's, from it's, puberty it's whole, on. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's that whole body appreciation thing. I think when we can get into a space of appreciation, you know, and think about all the things that our body does all day long on autopilot, it breathes, it sees for most people. Again, this is not for everybody. I recognize that, you know, it, most people have hearing, taste. I mean, the senses in general, but, you know, our arms to hug, you know, our legs hold us up. I mean, it's amazing. It is amazing. So we have to be to the best of our ability, you know, thanks. Thanks, body. Thanks for all you do for me every single day. How can I treat you really nice? <laughs> no, that's perfect. You know, yeah, how can I treat you nicer, you know? Um, and again, that's a space that many, myself included, had to get into and continue to have to, you know, work toward, you know, cultivating that relationship, making that relationship stronger and stronger. Beautiful. Well, we're going to leave it on that note because... That was a great wrap up there. Um, where can people find more of you, Michelle? My website is my name, michellevinabaltis.com. I'm on Instagram, which I love. It's so much fun there. Uh, and it's michellevinabaltis underscore coach. And I have a Facebook group, wonderful women in my Facebook group. It's called the No Diet Sisterhood. Uh, and we have a lot of fun in there. We ask a lot of questions. We share a lot of really great stuff. And uh, it's just a really nice, safe space. And women of all ages in there. Um, and it's just a lot of fun. Amazing. Beautiful. Thank you so much for being here. I'll link to all of those in the show notes as well. If people want to join your group and um, follow you, which I highly recommend, I think it your your stuff is so great and it's just been such a pleasure this was so informative and i think people are gonna have taken away a lot from this thanks for your time today thank you so much this was great and you know how much i i admire you and your work and have been following you for years so this is like uh really really exciting for me so thank you. <laughs> oh, thanks michelle <laughs> thank you rock on there were so many great takeaways from that episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. You can find all the links and resources mentioned at summerinandin.com forward slash 172. Can you believe it's episode 172? Like where, where did the time go? <laughs> Anyways, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you being here. Talk to you next time. Rock on. I'm Summer Inanin, and I want to thank you for listening today. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Summer Inanin. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this show. I would be so grateful. Until next time, rock on. Rock on.